Okay, we're going to get started if we can in our Sunday school hour, and I want to tell you up front, you can sit wherever you want to, but this is going to be a far more interactive hour than, or 45 minutes, whatever we have than usual. I'm going to do uh, limited on teaching and uh, hopefully have some discussion and some interaction because I think what we're talking about is so important and I want your involvement in thinking these things through. We're talking today about the church. Uh, We're doing fundamentals of the faith. These are the basic things that a Christian should have a working knowledge of. Now, if I were to put you on the spot and ask you to um, uh, sit with me with someone who is a brand new believer. And let's say that you knew them, you had maybe helped lead them to Christ, and because of your relationship with them, I ask you to come and visit with them, and maybe we go sit on their couch, and, and you are going to explain to them why it's important to be a part of a church. I wonder what you would say. I mean, there are a lot of things you could say, a lot of biblical things you could say. But what's the essence of church Participation, church involvement. Is church optional? Uh, I just spoke to a, a guy um, who was an acquaintance. He's not a, a friend by any stretch. I talked to him and he, he was telling me that church is optional in terms of going to an institutionalized place. That he, uh, he would rather be out on a fishing trip, fly fishing on a Sunday morning and that, that's his church. What would you tell a person on the importance of being in the church? Well, let me just kind of back up from that and, 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 and talk about the church from a couple of angles. One of the favorite parts of ministry for me is uh, doing weddings. I love doing weddings. And it's really unfair. I mean, I'm standing up here and you're, you're way back there. And I'm this close to watching this couple commit their life to one another. It is so special. It's precious. You get the, the glances. You see the sweaty palms. You see the ring that won't go on. It's a lot of fun. Actually, sometimes you see that too. Um, but a part of talking about weddings, uh, talking uh, in a wedding about marriage, almost always includes a reference to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 should be a place that any of us should start in talking about how important it is to get involved with the church or how important the church is to God, how important the church should be to us. Because it's, it's the only, now work with me here, it's the only reciprocating analogy or illustration in the New Testament. Now what I mean by that is in that passage, the analogy and the, the, the uh, illustration works both ways. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, that the church and the Christ illustrate how important it is to understand your roles in marriage. And he also says, understanding your roles in marriage illustrates the importance of Christ in the church. Remember that, reading those two? They illustrate one another. It's called a reciprocating analogy. So much so, it's almost funny that Paul's talking about um, uh, husbands love your wife and he talks about uh, marriage for a few verses. Then he gets into the church and Christ loves the church. And then he's, he's waxing eloquent on uh, the theology of, of ecclesiology in the church. And then he says, nevertheless, let a man love his wife. He goes right back to it. So you can see he's wrestling with it even in the, the description of the analogy. I like that. I, I love how the... That analogy is so slippery as it slides into each other that Christ and the church are so important that they can only be mirrored. The only relationship on the planet that mirrors that 
is a husband and a wife. Now, would anybody tell a wife or a husband, well, you can be married, but you, can, you, don't, have, you don't have to have anything to do with your spouse. That would not make for a healthy marriage, right? In the same way, a Christian who says, I don't want, I don't need anything to do with the church is, is, is missing not only the mandate of it, but missing the blessing of it. You need to understand the church from two kind of uh, dimensions. The first is the universal church and the second is the local church. The universal church are all Christians who are alive, who, are, who have uh, given their faith to Christ. They're just believers. That's the universal church. So if I go over to um, South Africa, which I'll be uh, in three weeks, I go to South Africa and I, I'm worshiping with uh, the, uh, the African uh, uh, tribal folks who are going to come and be with us at Polokwane. Um, and uh, we're, we're singing the songs and we're worshiping. And we are a part of the same church. We can say that. But we wouldn't say we're a part of the same local church. They don't even know where Mission Road is. They don't even know where Kansas is. There's local churches. When you're dealing with passages in the New Testament that talk about the church, you have to distinguish, first of all, is this talking about the universal church or is this talking about the local church? Here, there's only a few passages that talk about the universal church. Only a few. Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus is talking about Christians in general. I will build my ecclesia. I'll build my gathering of people. I am the one. Hell can't come against it. I will be the the head and the captain of the church. The church will not go out of existence until I return. But when you look at the specifics of the New Testament... First and Second Timothy and Titus, those are called the pastoral epistles. Paul was telling Timothy, here's how to do church at Ephesus. Remember, he founded that church, for th- was pastor there for three years. Then he gives the reins over to Timothy, and he writes Timothy two letters while he's pastoring the church at Ephesus and said, here's how I want you to shepherd and pastor the people there. These are the principles of church order and church leadership and church organization. He also told Titus, who was a missionary and a pastor on the Isle of Crete, here's how you establish order in the churches. You appoint elders, you get leadership, you make sure the gospel is first and foremost. So when you're looking at those, those are specific applications of the universal church to local assemblies. God intends for, God intends, this is not even a strong, strong enough word, It is critical for a Christian to obey and honor God to be involved in a local church. It's not optional. Now the question you immediately have to ask is, okay, then what does it mean to be involved in a local church? I grew up in a a sweet little Baptist church that um, you measured your Christianity by the things that you attended every week. We actually called them. You have Sunday morning Christians, you have Sunday morning and Sunday night Christians. And the most spiritual people were the prayer meeting Christians. Which was very interesting because those are the people who argued the most at the business meetings on Wednesday night. But that's for another time. Had, it was defined by attendance. Just a little footnote. You, you got to remember. Time and attendance don't necessitate maturity in Christ. Time and attendance don't guarantee that you're going to be mature and a mature believer, mature church member. 
I know people who've spent a lot of time doing a lot of things at church who've attended for years and they are no further along in their walk with Christ, their involvement in the church than they were decades before. You've heard us use the illustration over and over. If you're getting across, trying to get across a lake in a rowboat, it doesn't matter how long you've been sitting in the boat that determines how, you far, how far you are across the lake. It's how hard you've been pulling at the oars. So how hard are you pulling at the oars? In that um, uh, illustration, there are some young men, young women, who could actually be more involved, further along spiritually, further along in maturity than someone older because they've been working harder at it. And that's Okay. That should always motivate those of us who are a little older to, um, to direct our attention to our own growth. So the question becomes, okay, if there's the universal church, which we're a part of just because we're Christ's, and there's the local church, which God has called us to be a part of in terms of involvement, what does that look like? What's interesting to me uh, when you study the pages of Scripture with the, the nature of the church is it's not specifically and entirely defined. It's generally defined. For example, the one another's. Where do you do the one another's? The primary activity of exercising all of those, those 20 plus one another's in Scripture is the context of the church, of the people you know in the local church. That doesn't mean when I go to, to Cape Town and Palakwani and uh, South Africa in a few weeks that I'm not going to be able to do one another's there. But the people who I'm most committed to doing that to are in the local church. I think one of the passages that most bears our attention, most warrants our attention, is in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. It talks about confronting. In fact, just turn over there for a moment. I want, I want to show you this because this is almost impossible unless you were involved in a local church. Galatians 6. Brethren... Even if anyone, if a man, is caught in any trans, uh, trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. First of all, restore, how do you restore him? Well, obviously it's spiritual health, but it's probably in reference to restore him in the relationships with that local body that he's dealing with. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And then verse two, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. To me, that's one of the most important verses to justify and to argue for and to be blessed by local church ministry. You cannot bear another person's burdens without an ongoing relationship, can you? All of us have been in a situation where someone lays a massive prayer request on us and we think, oh, that's tough, we pray for it, but it's just not something that's in our face all the time. When we bear one another's burdens... That means to carry them along with them. That's not just for an hour or a day. And it's probably not for a week or a month. That's bearing one another's burdens. That presupposes trusting one another to, to download these burdens. That, that, that involves knowing one another and being vulnerable enough with one another where we're sharing and caring about those burdens. It involves a relationship where you know enough about one another's lives that, that it matters to care about what's going on in each other's Existence, their trials, their struggles, their highs, their lows. I don't know how that's possible if you're not involved in a local church. Not only that, let's shift just ever so slightly from involvement to actual membership. I'm not going to just uh, uh, do a whole argument. Uh, 
for church membership. But I do want to show you something important in Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews 13, there's a couple of verses that, that stand out with regard to local church involvement. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. There's a discipleship relationship. This is not just talking about pastors and elders. This is talking about people who have, who've had influence over you, meaning that the church should be an influence generator. You're generating spiritual influence. Now go to the, the, the leaders themselves in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Boy, I've heard that, that verse almost used in a spiritual, spiritually abusing way. You obey me. Let me just say that Rick, one of the pastors, the other pastors themselves, our elders, have no authority to command you to do anything to submit to us if it doesn't have a book and a chapter and a verse attached to it. The only authority we have is God's word. So when it says submit and obey, submit to and obey them, that's in keeping with God's word. Uh, I don't have the authority to say marry that person, don't marry that person. Buy that house, don't buy that house. Now we can apply wisdom and pray about those, but we can only go as far as the Bible goes. So when this says submit to, I mean, this is an awkward thing for me to talk about as a pastor. Submit to me. That's what the Bible says. Submit to me only as what I'm saying is in the pages of Scripture. If I'm outside of that pages, tell me to pound sand. There's no authority outside of that. Then, I just, that's just to get to the next phrase. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with grief. For this would be unprofitable to you. This talks about relationships that leaders have with people in the church that are supposed to be based on joy, not grief, that are based ultimately on the accountability pastors and elders, even church leaders at any level will give to the Lord. The question is, how do you draw that circle? Who are the people for whom, I ask this all the time, who are the people for whom I and the elders are accountable to the Lord? How do you define that? Is it just the people who come? Well, you gotta be careful. How often do you need to come? What about just Christmas? Or, or just Easter? Or just on summer vacation? What about the visitors who come? So it can't just be the people who show up every now and then or even regularly. This has to be people who have been identified by the leadership as committed to that group of leaders. And it has to be a, a, a commitment of those leaders to a specific group of people. I mean, we had visitors in first service. We'll probably have visitors in second service. Are, am I now to keep watch over their souls as one who's going to give an account? It's hard to define it that way. So that membership, if I can call it that, church membership is really that commitment that you have, leaders and shepherds to sheep and to, to, to disciples and disciplers. It's that commitment we have together to do ministry together and it's a ministry for which we're all going to be accountable to the Lord. It has to be defined somehow. I've, I know that several years ago when we began to kind of turn up the volume on the importance of membership, there were some people who had some heartburn over that. And uh, some of them for very good reasons. Very good reasons. But the answer is not, well, submit and be a member. 
The answer is, let's, let's talk about definitions. Who is a part of this local body? I want to know, when Jesus asks me and the elders, and he will, how was your charge over the people under your spiritual oversight executed? Who, who are those people? Who is, who is that defined? That doesn't mean that non-member regular attenders can't get many of the benefits of our church and the blessings of our church, have relationships in our church. We don't have card-carrying members. You know, you, uh, do, do you want to take communion? Let me see your card. We don't do that. Um, but there are more benefits and more responsibilities when you come to the point of, leadership, uh, of membership. The local church is really, if Romans 12 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to who? Who's the one another there? Well, it's the church at Rome that he's talking about. Exercising your gifts. Where do you exercise your spiritual gifts? In the church. So it's just, it's an organized way that God has chosen to touch the world for the gospel in an organized way for believers to shepherd one another into more uh, maturity, into greater uh, uh, growth in Christ. Now, let's go to our local church for a second. Why would you ever join a specific church? Let me just give you a couple of uh, things that we've talked about in our membership class before, but I think will be helpful for you. Um, First of all, you would join a church. You would become a part of a church. You would be involved in a church and give your life to a church if you agreed with the doctrinal convictions of that church. You believe what that church believes. It's important to know what you believe. If you're a young believer and you're still struggling with it, here's, let me give you a simple principle. Does what a church teaches, is there a clear line between what is taught and said back to what the Bible says? Is that the supreme authority? Another reason you would be involved in a local church is you agree with that philosophy of ministry. There are lots of different philosophies of ministry and not all of them are wrong. Some churches have more evangelistic programs than others. Some churches have more discipleship programs than others. Some are more faithful with missions than others. Some are more church planners than others. There's a, there's a lot of accents that you can make. You, you get involved with a church because you say, this is a group of people that I want to do what God's called me to do with. Another reason is that you trust the leadership. You trust the leadership. And what's most critical in trusting your elders and your pastors and Sunday school teachers and your leaders here at Mission Road is trust. And trust only comes from a longevity of seeing that they're serious enough about their own commitment that it makes a difference in their lives. That there's a sincerity, that there's a, an authenticity that, that, that Christ and his word matter beyond Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. You can trust them. Even with that, let me give you a footnote on trust. Even though you may trust the leaders here, we're going to make mistakes. We are not infallible. Don't tell my kids, but we're not infallible. We, we make mistakes. The question is never, you know, my, my, my old mentor, John MacArthur, used to say, a leader is rarely defined by a first decision and always defined by his second decision. Meaning, if you make a bad first decision... You make a better second one. That's the nature of leadership. Your leaders, let me just tell you right now, your pastors, your elders, your leaders, we are going to fail you and fail the Lord at some point. I'm very uncomfortable saying that we're not. 
That would be a dangerous proposition. So look for challenge in, in those of us who are, who are giving spiritual oversight. Challenge us, look for, are, are we approachable and are we teachable? And the second that you see any of us not that way, tell on them. Let us know. Another reason that you would um, be involved in a local church is that you love the body. You love the body. I don't want to be sentimental, but when Kim and I came four years ago, it was actually four years ago last month and visited uh, the church. Uh, We, no offense, we had no desire to come to Kansas City kind of been here a couple times and saw the bad part of, of, of the freeway and um, that's all I saw was the freeway and, and driven through and saw pastures and pastures and I mean if you, between like Topeka and Denver have you ever that's not all of what Kansas is so it was all fleshly but we didn't have any desire to, to come to, to Kansas we were actually thinking about going to another church when we came here to visit and what compelled us that we wanted to come here wasn't that I could have a ministry, I could have a great ministry, I could have leadership. What compelled us was we loved the people and wanted our family to be involved with, with you, with, with them. Do you love the body? Another last reason that I would tell you that you should make a commitment to be involved in a local church is service. We should be, ought to be passionate about serving in the body. The moment that our church becomes a group of attenders, we've lost sight of the Great Commission. It's a meeting. It's a social club. It's an alternative to the world. We should be together to serve one another and others. Here's a very interesting insight that Jesus gave in John really 13 through 17, 13 through 16 rather. He says it several times. He says it specifically in 13. They, the world, they will know that you love me, Jesus says. They will know you love me when you love them, right? No. They will know you belong to and you love me when you have love for one another. You're serving one another. You're loving one another. You're caring for one another. A visitor, I love visitors. I hope we have visitors all the time. But a visitor should come in our church and feel a little bit out of place. And attracted at the same time to say, wow, these people really care about each other. It would be great to be a part of a group that cared for each other like this. We don't have the time to do this now, but if you look in 1 Corinthians, uh, I think it's chapter 10, Paul talks about that situation where um, you're, you're asked to go over to your neighbor's house who's an unbeliever. You want to have a gospel witness and they serve meat offered to an idol. And there's another younger believer who comes with you. Remember that illustration? He says, now you're, you're caught. Are you going to eat this meat offered to an idol, which doesn't bother you. It's, it's good meat, and you know it's, there's no such thing as an idol. He actually says, it's not a big thing because idols don't exist. But you know what would bother the conscience of the younger believer? You have a choice. Are you going to offend the unbeliever, or are you going to offend the believer? You remember what he says? Offend the unbeliever. At all costs, love one another. Care for one another. Mission Road Bible Church is a Bible church. We're non-denominational. Uh, we, we hope that we're part of our namesake. We're submitting ourselves to the Bible as our final authority. Um, and we have distinctives. We're Baptistic. We believe that you should be baptized after you're converted. 
And I won't go into all the reasons for that, but there are many. There are, there's no biblical justification for someone to be baptized as a baby, as an unbeliever, which babies are. Um, it's, baptism always follows conversion. We're also dispensationalistic, meaning we believe that there's a future for Israel, that there's a distinction between the church and Israel. We don't believe in what's called replacement theology, that the church has now become Israel, and that you can actually go back in the Old Testament and find the church. You can find promises about the church, but we are distinct from Israel. When we get to Romans 11, and it's just a few in a while, we, you will see that we believe in a literal future for national Israel who are converted, which is different than saying we believe that what happened in 1947 is the fulfillment of Scripture. Because what happened in 1947 in Israel's reconstitution was not what Revelation says is God bringing his chicks to him as a, as a, as a mother broods her, her little chicks because they're saved. It didn't happen then. It's going to happen someday. We believe that. Second, uh, thirdly, we're cessationists, which means we're, we believe that the spiritual miraculous gifts, tongues, prophecy, healing, those passed away with the apostles. We also have an elder-led polity. Uh, we're not congregational, but the congregation does vote. Isn't it, this interesting? You know what the main thing the congregation votes on? The leaders. And one of the reasons that we're not congregational, I grew up in a congregational church where everything was put to a vote to the whole congregation. And the question is, now do you have non-members voting? Okay, what, well, what if it's members? What if, what if you have an apostate? What if someone's not a believer and they're, or, or immature and they're voting on things? So really, we, we, we believe the scripture teaches that you defer some of those decisions to men who can devote their attention to it. And I hope that that's earned by trust Anyone who has any questions about our decisions can come. By the way, you're always welcome to come to our once a month uh, elders meeting on Tuesday night. I think it's this Tuesday, isn't it, Bob? This Tuesday night. And you can sit in and listen to what we do. It's not like a um, a club of masons or something. There's nothing secret about it. We're just trying to organize the ministry of the church and shepherd people. So, all of that to say, there's the universal church that you're a part of if you're saved. There's the local church that you're a part of because you're saved and you should be giving your life to it. Now, I want us to have some discussion and Q&A, but I want to just give you, a, I was going to say give you a vision after saying I'm a cessationist. Lay out a vision for, uh, for our church, okay? I'm not having visions up here. I can see how that's going to be tweeted this afternoon. Our pastor had a vision in Sunday school. Let me lay out a vision. I, I dream of excelling still more. I'm not saying you're not doing this. I dream of a church where someone walks into and all they see is people who care and serve. There's a church I know of that um, uh, has been such an example to me. This is not comparing ours to, to this. It's a much smaller church. Every time I visit this place, they just... It's almost uncanny and uncomfortable how selfless and service-oriented these people are. Um, They would do anything, give anything, write any check, cover any expense, take anyone. They're just inclined to do that. And so many of you are like this. So much of our church is like that. I also know that Sundays can be tough and it's fast and furious. 
But if we could begin to excel more in the mindset of just serving one another and serving others and, and reaching out and just, I mean, what happened yesterday at the, at the um, uh, work day is so encouraging. I wasn't there. I was in a conference in Florida. I'm sorry. That's the excuse I'm going to give you anyway. Um, for people to come out and do that, let, let me just tell you, we, we have a church approaching 500 and no custodial staff. That's pretty remarkable. I, I don't know another church our size that doesn't have at least a full-time custodian or a full-time service custodial staff. Now, most of this, and I'm going to probably get in trouble for saying this, is, is done by Bob and Kathy and uh, by um, slave labor we call seminary students. Um, and so many of you guys, you guys and gals come in and help. But taking care of the facilities, taking care of things, taking care of people, visiting in hospital, there's nothing you can't do if you want to do it. But my prayer is, my vision for our church without being charismatic is that we would be, our signature would be people who would do anything for anyone in the name of Christ. That there's no sacrifice we're unwilling to make. We're moving there. We just need to excel still more. So I'm excited about what's gonna happen. So the church ought to be not a part of your life, but it ought to be the integral part of your life. It's the connecting tissue. Last thing I'll say and then we'll talk. What I love most about the church in general, but the, our church is, I'm just looking at people right now. There are so many people at so many different places, socioeconomically, even racially, background, singles, marrieds, young marrieds, old marrieds, divorced, widows. There is nothing that would make us one except Christ. That's why I love our care groups. They're messy. Oh, praise God, they're messy. You're with people that you, sometimes you don't even like. It's, it's easier to love somebody than like, like them sometimes, isn't it? You know, um, you love them, but liking's hard. Liking is called sanctification. It's God changing you, not just waiting for the other person to change for you. I love the messiness of getting involved in, 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 in church. Um, I was using an illustration with one of my sons a few weeks ago and he didn't know what in the world I was talking about. I'm gonna try it. And if it doesn't work, just give me some really bad feedback. I was just saying, you know what I love about our church? We're the Isle of Misfit Toys. Just like every other church I've ever seen. You know, remember the old Rudolph claymation thing and all of the, the, the toys that weren't quite right were all in this... Island, and as I remember right, didn't Rudolph go and kids didn't have Christmas and so he got those toys and gave them to kids and made them happy, something like that. But I love that island because there's something wrong with every one of those toys. Something off about every one of those toys. That's us. That's me. That's us. And shaping each other to be more conformed to the image of Christ. That's, that's the beauty. If we're doing church right, we should attract the Isle of Misfit toys.